Hello and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 38, Dark Places from 2015. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us today, snapping his streak of only being on great episodes of great movies about... <laughs> well, this might be a great episode. Here to be determined. But snapping his streak of only being on good movies yeah. of Watch the Throne. It's Tobin Addington. Hello, Tobin. Hi, and I'm sorry. Well, we're sorry. <laughs> was this one you wanted to do from the beginning, or do we add this after the fact? Because either way, it was the wrong decision. I wanted to do this from the beginning because because I read this book long before Gillian Flynn was famous for Gone Girl, and so okay. I'd always been curious about this story, and the idea of Charlize playing Libby Day was was perfect casting in my head. So I was really curious, and then I but then suspicious, as it sort of disappeared kind of into, into nothingness. And now I think I kind of know why. Yeah, you know, what's funny is this movie has been on my list of horror films to watch. It, like, I have to do a 31 Days of Halloween marathon in October, and I had always just thought this was a horror movie. And I'd been meaning to watch it for like two, three years now. Man, am I glad I didn't watch it those two, three years in a row because it would have just ruined my horror fest. Yeah, I uh, finally got to it and pretty underwhelming. So Gone Girl is a book that I read and did not like. And Gone Girl is a movie that I watched and admired, but left me feeling cold and I didn't love it. And I'm very much looking forward to whenever we get to it on Cinemakers, when Tobin comes back to yes. David Fincher movies. Yes. So I'll be exciting for that. So I want to, there's a couple of his movies that I think I've talked about in other podcasts that like I really appreciate but I don't enjoy hmm. like that and like the social network and stuff and so like I want to see those again this I, it's hard to find things that are good other than like literally every actor is someone that I like from other things <laughs> yes. like it's yeah. amazing how yes. many people show up in this movie and then when we got to the point where like Adriana from The Sopranos showed up I'm like what is going on in this movie like <laughs> this is super cool but still there's not much going on here of any you know anything good or worth talking about or of any merit. <laughs> yeah, I think the one thing that I was kind of impressed by was the recasting. So, like, we have the children or, like, the younger versions of characters and then their older versions. And I was like, wow, yeah. for as many films, especially as many times as, like, Charlize has been portrayed as younger, you know, by a different actor, I was like, whoa, this movie, like, kind of nailed it pretty well with, like, all of the older versions of everybody. We get, like, the guy from, well, I know him best from um, House of Cards and Ant-Man, and I always forget his name. Corey Stoll. Corey, Corey Stoll, yeah. Yeah, like, he... he He's only got like three scenes, but like I feel the weight, like I feel those scenes because of the actors. So yeah, and and Charlize is doing, she's doing okay here. I really don't feel like, I feel like the movie kind of gets away with her with some of the flashbacks and stuff. Like it gets away from her character. Yeah, definitely the acting is what's like saving this movie for me and the actors in it. And this is our second Corey Stoll, Charlize Theron team up. And the second one Tobin's talked about, because he was in North Country with her. They were co-workers, and here they are brother and sister. The girl who plays young Charlize, like, we're reaching a point now, Mike, where, like, we're not far enough away from the movie to see if, like, they grow up into an actress that sort of resembles, you know what I mean? Yeah, except for J-Law, right? Like, we know (laughs) J-Law She just grew up to look like (laughs) J-Law. But this girl is in both of the Conjuring movies. She's in World War Z and the upcoming sequel, if and whenever that... No, maybe she's not in the sequel. I think they're making a sequel to that. Whatever. Uh Fincher might be directing that, so maybe down the line. She's also in Patterson, a movie that you and I both like, but the thing I know her best from, and I really don't like her on the show because she's 
the, the character is intentionally written to be terrible and annoying. Uh, she's on divorce, which is oh, yeah. oh god, what's her oh, name? Sarah, Sarah Jessica, Jessica Parker? Parker. Sarah Jessica Parker, but more importantly to me, Thomas Hayden Church, who absolutely <laughs> kills it on that show. The Sandman himself. <laughs> but she plays their daughter. She's so annoying on that. So like, I hope. That she becomes, I mean, maybe that's her being a good actress, I don't know. Uh, but we don't get a ton of young Charlize here. It's just her sort of looking scared and quiet and lying, sort of. But yeah. that's that's that. Yeah, and I was also surprised to see the guy, the kid from Joe and Ready Player One, and I always forget his name. Ty uh, Sheridan. Ty yep. Sheridan, yeah. Like yeah. Cyclops, you know, because I think like we mentioned on the Joe episode, like this kid's great, like he's going places, and like, man, did he definitely go places, you know, like yep. leading like a summer blockbuster Spielberg film like and, and all that kind of thing. But like, yeah, interesting to see him pop up and fit that role very well. The other real connection of note here is that this is the first of two movies in a row with Nicholas Holt in them. I think next week we might like a little bit better than this one. I'm not sure. But also of note, because I forgot, like, I always forget that he's Nux, right. or Nuck, because the first thing I think of when I think of him now is the family man. No, is the weatherman. Oh, oh right, as Cage's kid. I think of yeah. him as Beast for some reason, as, as okay. <laughs> Dr. Hank McCoy. But yes, I mean, he's so. in two movies movies in a row, you know, he's this guy who runs the Kill Club, which is the weirdest thing in the world. That's just like a true crime club, right? Like that's, yeah. but yeah, it's before right, right. true crime clubs, kind of, they're like a year early, I feel, on the release here <laughs> before um, Serial came out or whatever. It's just Oh, man, I'm already, like, bored talking about this movie. Not bored talking about this movie, but I'm almost out of things to say because the whole narrative here is that Charlize in current day is essentially trying to undo the sins of her past by seeing if she can avenge or right the wrong of falsely imprisoning her brother. And then we get to a point by the end where there is the angel of debt, which I don't know if that was a real thing or not, but like that feels like such a deus ex machina, like this weird, convenient out for like all these different people. Like I don't like <laughs> Gillian Flynn or Gillian Flynn's writing. Like I think Gone Girl has like 35 incredible pages surrounded by absolute difficult to get through stuff like i just this doesn't click for me at all this i can't imagine reading this book although i think the book is probably better than this because this is not very good at all <laughs> yeah I, this is funny i recorded a different podcast last night with people who also didn't like gillian flynn's writing and i always have i find her particular kind of sort of getting inside the the very dark and twisted head of characters to be a place I kind of like to be revolted in. I, I don't, I'm not quite sure. And I think that is one of the major differences between the book and, and, the, mo- and the movie here is that it, the book allows you to really get inside characters' points of view in a way that the film doesn't. The biggest problem with this movie, I think, is some combination of the script and the directing, <laughs> which is... <laughs> Which is, I realize, like, most of the movie. But, like, the movie gets in its own way so many times when there's voiceover. That I mean, we could just start with the voiceover. There's tons of terrible, terrible voiceover in this movie that is, is telling you things that you either don't need to be told or that you could be shown or is sort of telling you things you couldn't possibly know. It just, it was excruciating every time. And I felt bad for Charlize, like, having to even record it. I do like, I've never read Gone Girl, but I did like that movie. I did find that very interesting take just on like 
domesticity and sanity and, and all kinds of things <laughs> and stuff. But I just think there's a lot of uh, the movie. There's a lot of things the movie didn't explore that I wanted it to go, I guess, deeper into. But ultimately, I did like that story. And, and I guess that's why watching this and knowing that she had written that, I was prepared for a completely different movie. I was convinced, basically from the beginning, that Charlize had repressed the fact that she murdered everybody somehow. Like, I could not get mm-hmm. that out of my head for some reason, just because I just feel like it felt right for that to be the conclusion. And then it started getting super convoluted with the brother's girlfriend and the devil-worshipping stuff, and yep. then, like, the criminal pot-dealing dad. All the time jumps back and forth without any warning, really. It's, like, very jarring there and stuff. And then, ultimately, with the angel of debt guy at the end, I was just like, come on. Of anybody that could have been the ultimate murderer, it had to be, like, this bullshit? I mean, at least make it Chloe Grace Moretz, who, like, actually ended up strangling one of the sisters to death, you know? Like, she at least did do one of the murders. Like, just have her go all the way with her friend, the tough guy, with the braids and stuff. So, ultimately, I guess, like, I was just kind of... I felt blindsided. I guess I should have known better, just not coming in with those kinds of expectations but I guess because I did like Gone Girl does kind of go to sort of a more horrible like kind of place you know in the horror movie kind of sense I guess I was just sort of expecting something else and I just got like a lazy thriller (laughs) like it's just like a lazy detective put you to sleep type of movie so that was disappointing it kills me too because you could this there's so many things in this that that should be my bread and butter here about you know like a sibling trying to i thought of mosaic too right of a sibling sort of reluctantly trying to clear their sibling's name from a murder and sort of investigating their own past and their own culpability and things that happened as shitty mistakes people make as teenagers that then have you know more serious repercussions for the rest of their lives that then they realize at the time all this kind of stuff fascinates me and I and I, I sort of I'm primed to like this movie but in in some ways there especially in the in the past there are too many things going on like they needed to scale back some of the stuff the Ty Sheridan character is having some kind of a flirtatious relationship with an 11 year old girl or something that he's over yep all oh, like, the rumors and everything that yeah, come but from that act- mm-hmm. yeah but he actually does like you know he writes her a note and we see at the beginning and he and he kisses her and it's barely PG I mean he's he's crossing a line but it's not nearly the line that the girls then claim that he is like you get this whole like crucible thing where all these girls are then claiming that this terrible yeah. thing has happened right so that there's that, that happening plus all the stuff of Christina Hedricks's character, the mom's character of of her desperation as the farm is sort of they don't have enough money to keep the farm, and then the dad shows up and he's really violent with her, and it's clearly a sort of, sort of terrible terrible relationship model. Anyway, there's all this stuff going on that I think in the book all felt like oh this could be why it happened, oh this could be why it happened, but in the movie it just feels complicated. Though it just it doesn't feel complex. It just feels like they're just adding all these complications in, in addition to the Chloe Grace Moretz stuff, which. Again, Again, it's just there's just too much, and it, it didn't really feel like it was illuminating anything. It felt like it was kind of obscuring things, just just kind of on purpose. I think at the end of the day, it's just kind of a simple story, and I think that there she's just trying to whether it's the book. Like, do you remember the novel, Tobin? Like, do you remember? Like, is this true? At least I'm I'm sure it's like a simplified, probably sped up version. But like, is this consistent yeah. with the actual story that's told? That's I think the problem is that they stayed too faithful to the book. Okay. Because it feels like the story is simple. Like, Charlize, in her heart, maybe knows that she lied. And so it's not a question of 
if the brother did it or not. It's just a matter of who did it. And so she just has to find that out. And I feel like they're throwing so many red herrings at you. Mm-hmm. Like everything you're saying with that's happening in the in the you know, in the background and the history of like Chloe Grace Moretz and all this different stuff, like that's all there, I think, because otherwise it would just be like well, who killed him? And then it would just be like sort of like a police procedural <laughs> yeah. or yeah. something, which actually might be better. Like, that's I not agree. this movie at all. But, you know, a movie like Spotlight, where it's just them like combing through papers, is like one of my favorite movies. Like, because that's just them digging in and doing like journalistic work or like police work or Zo- like we were just talking about before we started recording about Zodiac. That's another one where it's just like them following up on leads and like there's tension. You can still have tension there and you can still, if you want to end this movie with Charlize like in a creepy basement that every other movie eventually becomes, <laughs> sure, do that. Don't be like, oh, well, maybe it was this, maybe it was that because it just feels artificial and fake and not not good. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Like, I, I feel frustrated because there is a movie in here that could probably work like I think this would have been really cool if they made it a lot more of like a hard-boiled noir from her perspective because we always see like the guy go on like the dark journey trying to figure out like who did it and everything and then coming to like a self-realization like they really could have made this sort of like more neo-noirish and stuff but also like I think it needed to spend more time in the present like I I agree with you guys like the movie starts off being like all right we're gonna flash back once or twice and then by the end it's like well we're gonna flash forward (laughs) once or twice and it's just like dude somewhere along the way like the timeline flipped and it became about the other year and so that was very jarring as well that didn't help because I never knew which timeline was like more important or which like I felt like I should be paying attention to one more than the other but neither was giving me enough the main thing that bothered me about the present day timeline that I felt like they were setting up to use throughout the whole movie is that sort of kill club those people those like true crime club you set them up but you only use nick holt like they have an entire room full of like ex-cops and detectives and all this stuff like they really should have like all been in the movie more i feel or like she could have at least called like that one lady who called her out like it would have been cool if they had another scene together where she's like uh, you know i talked to my brother this and that i'm taking your advice i'm really going this other route and stuff yeah and ultimately it's just disappointing because it it feels like it could have been way more successful if they just focused on certain things instead of tried to cram everything in yeah i think you're completely right by putting in a bunch of stuff that they didn't need that leaves you sort of dangling with with threads that could have followed through one thing that i didn't care that, that worked better in the book than it does in the movie is in the movie we because it starts in the present and that our protagonist is Charlize Theron in the present we need to have I think more emotional investment in what's going on in the present and the Nicholas Holt character there needs to be something between them and, and I don't mean it has to be romantic but there you know she has that one scene where they're driving in the car and she's trying to find out why he's so fascinated by her case and it eventually comes out he started these wildfires these famous wildfires that destroyed a bunch of homes in California and that's meant I think to be some kind of emotional high point for the two of them and it's just not I'm not invested in I don't know why he's so fascinated I, th- I think there's a version of this movie where he turns out to be the kid uh, so in the past Charlize's brother was having this relationship with Chloe Grace Moretz and she's pregnant and you find oh, out by the end of, end of the movie that it's, that kid he, yeah that that she that he has been protecting 
even though he knows that Chloe, Chloe Grace Moretz is a, a crazy murderer, he's protecting her by going and going to jail be, so that she doesn't get caught for the crime of having right. strangled the sister. And so the one of the big questions apparently in the movie is what ha- where, like, where's his where's his kid? Who's his kid? If Nicholas Holt had ended up being that kid, that I you know that you could have cinched this thing a little bit tighter yes. and made him part of the story, and that I think would have been better. Man, that's why you're the screenwriter, the successful screenwriter. Like, that is so clean. Like, that's exactly what this movie needed. Like, that turn at the end where he had a kid no one knew about, and she turns around, and he's like, I am the kid, and, like, smashes her with a rock, you know? And then she wakes up tied to his basement or something. Yeah, dude. Oh, man, I love that ending. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Because then, when the actual kid shows up, you're like, oh, it's nobody we know. It's so awkward, too. It's just a girl. thing, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Because I, I even, like, this was one of those ones where I was, like, kind of beginning the checkout, and I had to, like, read, I, I read Wiki because I was like, wait, 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 what did I miss? And no, didn't miss anything, just don't know that girl. <laughs> yeah, I totally thought Chloe Grace Moretz was lying, too, about the whole pregnancy just to have the Ty Sheridan wrapped around her finger some more, you know? Uh-huh. Because she's just, like, dominating him and whatever, like, he was basically her slave boy <laughs> the whole thing and do whatever <laughs> she said. So when it turned out there actually was a kid anyway, I was just, like, so confused by that, but... Yeah, definitely, if it was Nick Holt, so clean. Oh, boy. Um, apparently in the book, which I don't know why this... like, I, I read this on IMDb, Tobin. I want you to, if you remember why this matters. In the book, the character Charlize plays is 4'10". Is there a significance to her being so short? Not that I remember. Is this something? Is there any more about her foot that gets injured as a kid? Because I thought for sure she should have had a limp in this movie if they made because they did like that thing in the beginning where her foot's all bandaged up mm-hmm. and everything. But I guess that was just nothing. I, I can't remember. You know who the other another movie that that this made me think of, and I think there as I look at the poster for the movie, it feels like they're they're aping this the poster for the American remake of of uh, Let the Right One In. Is it Let Me In? Is that the name? Oh of yeah, it? starring yeah, yeah, Chloe yeah. Grace Moretz, right? Right, Isn't and she's the vampire actually, in it. Okay. Yeah, and one of the producers is also a, a producer of one of like thirty producers on this movie. Matt Reeves, I, I loved what he did with that remake and the way he doled out the narrative in that story and I we keep coming back to this but if you had a different writer director making this movie you there there even with the elements that you have and especially with the cast you have you really could make something kind of gripping and th- this movie so often felt lurid just for the sake of being lurid like yeah. in the in the flashback sometimes it's like a subjective point of view the camera's handheld just as though you're Libby as though you're the young Charlize Theron running away and it's in this kind of weird black and white that's just kind of murky and hard to hard to see and I can see how maybe it was I mean clearly it was a choice of some kind like they made the movie this way but it felt uh, more like uh, I don't know like a bad TV movie circa 1993 as opposed to a movie that you're going to presumably play on theaters or put on Netflix today and I I think some people maybe thought that the subject matter warranted that since it is kind of salacious in terms of this, you know, the Kansas Prairie Massacre or whatever. But it just it didn't by playing only the text of the story, it you didn't it didn't surface anything underneath that at all. And then as we've been saying, just leaves you kind of empty and confused and like checking Twitter on your phone as you're watching the <laughs> yep. movie. It's crazy that you bring up the sort of Charlize POV like Blair Witch footage that they used in this movie because <sighs> like I thought that was going to turn out to be an actual tape like I thought the oh, Libby yeah. character was walking <laughs> around at night like with like night vision to see through the camera and she was filming it and we'd find out that she would find the tape and it would show who the real killer was mm. like on 
camera, you know, like right before he like left frame, he would freeze frame it and like lean in toward the screen and be like, holy shit, it's them or something. So yeah, I was ultra confused when that didn't come back as like an actual thing, like like an actual tape. I was like, why not? <laughs> I thought it was maybe an actual tape because like you see it. It's, a, it's, a, it's used in a few different ways. Like, it's always, like, the first person, but it's always... It feels like it's being, you know, deployed in a few different ways. And then about on the third or fourth one, I was like, wait, why would this girl be filming anything? Like, yeah. it would have been crazy to me at that point if there was a tape. Like, why are you filming at night? Like, what are you... Like, what is going on? Like, it's just... Everything about that is just so weird and jarring and illogical and yeah. pointless. I don't... Like, it just... <laughs> why? Why? Like, I understand that you want to show a different perspective, but, like, you could do it in literally any other way. Yeah, there's no intention behind these things. That's such a great way to, to, to say it, Joey, that there's no reason to do so much of this stuff, yeah. except that, quote unquote, it looks cool or it looks scary or, you know, like, it's just, it just, there's nothing sort of motivating it. I will say there were three or four scenes that I thought were really, really good. And they were the, I'd love to see if you guys agree, they were the scenes in the jail between Corey Stoll and Charlize Theron, yeah. the grown-up brother and sister. And I think it has more to do with the fact that they are very estranged. Charlize is very caustic to him, and he's not at all to her, at least to start with. The combination of the of the filmmaking having to be quiet, <laughs> like it's just shots, medium, medium close-ups of the two of them as they talk on the phone through the like glass. You just allow these two actors to elevate the material that you have in those scenes. I found myself really invested in those scenes in a way that I wasn't in the rest of the movie. Did you guys like those too? I like them because it's almost like the movie forces the director to keep it simple mm. and doesn't get like weird or cute with it and just lets two actors who we know are both very good actors do their thing. If you're... Because this guy also... I think... I don't know if we mentioned explicitly or not, but the guy who directed this also wrote it. And so I'm assuming unless he changed the novel's dialogue, even if it's not my cup of tea, it's probably pretty good. If you just let two actors go at it with good words and keep the camera simple, it's probably going to be pretty good, especially when the rest of the movie that surrounds it is not very good, <laughs> to, put it, put it, to, put it, to put it gently. Yeah, I agree with you guys, and I also think what's good about these scenes is that like they're actually pertinent to the plot and everything, you know? <laughs> right, like, right? right? Like, they matter to the story, and they mean <laughs> stuff, like, in the context text of everything too so it's nice to actually get scenes where like we're moving forward as well so interestingly when this movie was being developed amy adams was cast in the lead role and then had to drop out and they got charlie staring and then amy adams as we know we go on to be in sharp objects another oh. gillian flynn adaptation so it's sort of a weird the the author she was born to portray or something who knows was she off filming man of steel maybe because doing her some, Man of some investigating this, justice league oh okay well, this All was right. supposed to be released in 2014. Like this, this yeah, it was, it was made in 2014. Yeah. Oh, the Gillian Flynn is actually in this movie in the Kill Club. She's the woman with an axe across her lap that they just sort of cut around, and she's just like basically staring at the camera, smiling. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I wonder if she was supposed to be portraying like Lizzie Borden or something. I thought, yeah, I had that yeah. same thought. Yeah. They, yeah. I don't think they talked to her, but they talked to some other freak, and he definitely crosses a line with, with Libby when he's like starts like touching her and she's like get off freak I'm like, I'm like yeah exactly like these guys are taking it too far with this stuff you know who I think or what I think is the most grown worthy grown inducing moment in this movie 
is when they explain the porn name game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you know, it's her porn. It's a, it's her porn name or whatever. And like she did porn. It's like, no, it's the game. And they're like, wait, what are you talking about? Why don't you tell me in full detail? And it's like, well, why? Like, if you don't trust your audience to know what that is, use a different way of like having her name's Polly. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. It just felt so clunky. Like, oh, you take this and like, I like in a way that there's a joke that that Charlie's like, I grew up on State Route Two or whatever it was, or State Route Four. Yeah. Like, that's funny. But that scene is like, or that that little exchange is like. 45 seconds for a minute. Like, it's way too long for something that either most people either know or the rest of the people could probably infer what it was. Yeah, it, this is a, yet another example of this movie talking down to its audience and just not trusting us. It's it was it's painful. That Those yeah. moments are painful. Yep. And, and it's wasting time. It's wasting its time with that kind <laughs> yeah. of stuff, too. It doesn't matter. It's not important. Like, sure, you should have just been like, yeah, she did do porn. Like, why not? That's the character anyway, right? Like, this super rich... <laughs> brat that doesn't get yeah. attention so she's like really controlling and around like i totally felt like that's probably what the character ended up doing when she skipped town like sorry but like that's the way you know she's a satanist i mean and not like you know she's a violent satanist like they go out and go full carry and like kill a bunch of cows and stuff it's not like they're intellectuals like actually reading <laughs> reading ancient texts and stuff and like philosophizing about religion <laughs> or anything like that like no like these are the wrong types of people so out of notes already. I did not like this movie. I did not write a lot down. I just sort of watched it and said, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't want to just wrap the up. I mean, we still have our, you know, our game to play and awards, which we will definitely be nominating this film for some awards, not necessarily good ones. But is there anything else either of you have to say about Dark Places before we move on to the other stuff? Charlize wears a hat throughout the entire movie, so I wonder if that's yeah. Fury Road related in some way, either like her hair growing back or something because i know there was a lot of delays with fury road so who knows how many times she i i just picture her having shaved her head once and gotten like okay we're going to shoot and then george miller's like wow we gotta wait a couple more years and she's like damn it and then she's gotta wear like a wig and then another thing and then so in here she's like up to a a hat with most of her hair grown back what what really just kind of like made me groan the most is like i was like okay like you got your character wearing like this ugly hat the whole movie like you're covering up charlie's and like it it just doesn't look good and then at the end you're gonna try and act like oh she takes her hat off like she's had (laughs) some kind of like metamorphosis (laughs) or something yeah like that is the symbolism it's just like get out of here (laughs) click (laughs) i'll tell you one last thing that i did kind of enjoy and it's a low bar at this point for this (laughs) for this movie but i do like how kind of filthy in terms of her language shirley's was in this movie like she's cursing people out and like and this is i remember very distinctly from the book it's a very uh, sort of unlikable protagonist in that yeah just i wrote just that down yeah pushing pushing people away and sometimes in sort of as i say with kind of violent language and sort of aggressively unlikable and i think that's there's something kind of refreshing about that and you could see where she would want to kind of play that it gets then i think maybe they were i wonder if they were worried about that which is part of why the some of the voiceover is in there to make sure you're inside her head and understand her so that you're not just sort of put off by her being so mean and aggressive but i kind of liked her being mean and aggressive like it, it demonstrates so much it demonstrates something about what she's been through and, and what she's become and since so much of this movie is or should be about what people become what how the choices or they make or the circumstances that they find themselves in when they're young reverberate through the rest of their lives you know that's like how does someone end up being 
being a, a kleptomaniac, curse-wielding horror show, a hoarder that she, that she kind of is. And I think that there's, you know, that, that, that could be something cool to explore and clearly something that she was, or I'm not saying clearly, I'm assuming something she was kind of drawn to with the character, but it just it doesn't come to anything. As, as with everything else good in this movie, the movie does not know what's good that it's got. It doesn't know what's bad that it's got. And so it just sort of plugs along and ends up being, uh, the, the worst sin of all, it ends up being dull. Yeah, and that's not good. Man, <laughs> I'm glad that I never have to watch this movie again. <laughs> yeah. Would you suggest, Tobin, that people read the book? So, okay, here's two questions. <laughs> if you have seen the movie, should you read the book? And if you haven't seen the movie, should you read the book? I can't imagine anybody watching this movie then wanting to have anything to do with the story ever again. Right. Mm-hmm. So, no. I I mean, I think it's – if you like Gillian Flynn's work, if you like, read and liked Gone Girl and want to see read something she read before, I th- my memory is this is the book I like the best of the three that she wrote. And I, th- I think I liked I like this better than Sharp Objects and I like Sharp Objects better than Gone Girl. Those would be my and I, and I, I enjoy being in as I say the heads of these of these nasty characters that she comes up with. So yeah, look, if you're it's I remember it being a very quick read. I remember it being very sort of true crime but more like being about true crime even though it wasn't true. Yeah, I'm never going to read it again and I and I, yeah, anybody who has any exposure to this movie. So my advice would be don't watch the movie, but read the book instead. There you go. You heard it here first and probably elsewhere because I'm sure that anybody who saw this movie was like, hey, don't watch this movie. So, <laughs> all right. So we have an email address here. Actually, Mike, do you have any other thoughts or no? Oh, no, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm just, I'm okay. good. I'm not, I'm not going to be picking up the book. I'm not going to be searching out <laughs> the novelization. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this story. <laughs> so we have an email address here on the show, watch at cageclub.me. We just, for some behind the scenes sneak peek, not that we got a ton of email here, but we recorded the last episode yesterday because I am heading to Scotland for a wedding, so we're doing a couple of these real close. So, no, believe it or not, Mike, we have not gotten email in the last, like, 36 hours. So, oh, you're kidding me. email us, watch at cageclub.me. Let us know what you think of Gillian Flynn and this movie and the book or whatever. Uh, we do have a game, and, Mike, I do have to say here, I think our time of putting Charlize in movies has come to an end. Oh, oh no. Are Not we by move on choice. To the game that my, uh, the next game today? I think are we so. going to do the next game today? The, I think the one so. Yeah, because oh, cool. here's the movies that are coming out next week or yeah, next week when this when this episode comes out. Mile 22, the Peter Berg movie, Crazy Rich Asians, and then a bunch of things that I've never heard of. All and right. then the week after that is The Happy Time Murders, which is that Melissa uh-huh. McCarthy uh-huh. puppet movie. Uh-huh. Okay. Some PG-rated Thomas Jane movie, that John Cho searching movie, which I think uh-huh. we did a couple weeks ago. In the computer? Searching yeah. in the computer? And then the week after that is a Zoe Kravitz-James Franco movie called Kin. Like, they're all movies that I've just not heard of. So we're going to stop doing this game, I think, because <laughs> it's just me like, it might as well just be like, put her in our random-ass movie. Okay. <laughs> so we can't do that version of Unfortunate Improv anymore. Okay. However... Mike came up with an idea for a game, and yeah. I'm going to go first in this one, because there's going to be another rule that you can't do it in the same scene, and there's only one scene that I want to be a part of in this movie, and I'm going to steal it from both of you. <laughs> the new game is called Stan Lee Yourself, and if you were going to put yourself as... So here's the question, Mike. This was Mike's game. I guess I should let him explain it. Are we replacing an actor in a scene, or are we... No, no, being no. added in addition to. Yeah, so the, the idea would be if uh, if you like want to walk on roll, you know, like mm. <laughs> they used to have mm-hmm. contests like that, like win a walk on roll in this movie and stuff. But you get a speaking part, you know. It's a full on. I was thinking like when J.J. Uh, J. Abrams put Simon Pegg in Mission Impossible 
three and just gave him like one cool scene with everybody so like that kind of thing or like if you want to just be a cameo like stan lee does and just shows up like for a second or something but okay yes ultimately just insert yourself into a part of this movie <laughs> so the scene that i'm going to insert myself into is the only scene that i want any part of doing i want to be in the kill club i want to be in the murder reenactment scene and i want to be literally anyone in there so i'm thinking if i Okay, here's the thing. So I'm going to add a chair next to Gillian Flynn, and I'm going to be dressed like John Wayne Gacy in full clown regalia. <laughs> and I'm just going to be sitting there next to her, silently just staring at the camera and whoever walks by. That's me in Dark Places. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right. So now, Mike and Tobin, Stan Lee yourself... How would you put yourself into this wonderful movie? This is harder than I was anticipating. Oh, really? <laughs> Especially if we're not if we're not using the same scene. I feel like because like it's sort of the, oh, it's, okay. I, I think it's what we came up with like on unfortunate improv. Like if we all did the same movie, yeah, it sort yeah, of becomes yeah. the same kind of thing. So okay, I think I got an idea, and this is this okay. is this is really unfortunate for. A, it being my game, but B, it being like the first time we're playing this, because I feel like this might be kind of a cop-out, but you guys let me know, and if it is, we can cut it, and I'll come up with something better. But here's what I'm coming up with. I'm doing laundry at the laundromat Ooh, at like 2 like a.m. when they Ooh, meet, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and yeah. I like come over and interrupt their conversation and ask for some change. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I ran out of change for the dryer, and they totally give it to me just so I leave them alone. So that's where I'm into at. that. But Charlize doesn't give it to you, because every quarter matters to Charlize. She's not going right. to give up a quarter. Uh, it's going like, to have to be oh, Nicholas Holt. I Nick, like that. Nick Holt goes, oh, I own the place. And he gives me like a whole lot of quarters. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. come here anytime. Or <laughs> maybe he like Fonzies the machine and it just starts working. Even better. There we go. All right. So I'm going to a triple bank shot and connect a bunch of stuff here. So Ooh, okay. Charlize Theron is a producer yeah. on Mindhunters, the yes. Netflix show directed by, the, where the first episode was directed by... David uh, Fincher? David Fincher. Directed by David Fincher, who was some day we will get to do the three of us on Cinemakers. So here's what I would do. I would knit these two universes together. I'm going to put myself into the first scene where Charlize is showing up at the prison to talk to Corey Stoll. And okay. I'm going to be an FBI agent in the background who's part of the behavioral sciences unit as she's walking past arguing with a guard to get in and like take the Twinkies into whatever the serial killer is they've got strapped to whatever you know board in the back of the, in the back of the place i love to i love i love you're an fbi agent i can picture that just like <laughs> getting in the guy because you're pretty tall you know what i'm saying yeah, like yeah. you can you can get in someone's face and like be like imposing and like get what you want so like i'm picturing <laughs> that as she's walking by just in the background like... i've had an occasional very short very conservative haircut and i feel like you put a dark suit on me with like scuffed shoes and a badge and i'm i can yeah. pass yeah yeah awesome Love it. Well, I think that was a successful first game. Yeah, pretty That's successful. That's a good game. That's a fun game. And it's also quick, which is always great when editing, so it is perfect. <laughs> so the last thing we have to do here on the show is to nominate this film for awards in uh, the golden wallpapers, the golden teeth, whatever they're going to be. Golden corn. I'm, I'm golden hanging corn. on to the to the fun <laughs> when we when we started this off, Joey. The, the golden days, the olden days of, of corn and giant apes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, worst and dentists. Film. <laughs> worst film, Dark places worst film yeah right i mean i'm assuming 
<laughs> well, I mean, there's there, it's kind of sure stiff competition. I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm sure at least a nomination. This feels like a like a nominee. Here's the sad part is that I've been ranking the Charlize movies on Letterboxd. Uh-oh. There are now 37 of them because Arrested Development's not on there. I gave this movie one and a half stars, and it is 27 of 37. Oh, wow, so there's wow. still 10 below. I would rather rewatch this than a bunch of stuff that we've watched. It's so funny, since I've watched this, I've dropped it like uh, an entire star of my rating on Letterboxd, just like thinking back about it, like, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Yeah, it's not good. Not going to nominate it for... It's not best role, it's not the worst role, not most badass role. Do we want to nominate it for, this is interesting potentially, most wasted Charlie's performance or no? Like, I feel like there's some stuff here, but I don't. I feel like it's not enough to merit it, but I'll also defer to you too. I feel like in this version, I don't know about the book, but like it feels like the character is more wasted to a degree. You know, like they just don't do what they should really do with the character. I, I don't know. I like, I, she's okay. She is not the problem in this movie. <laughs> she is doing everything possible she possibly can. Now, whether that means she's wasted or not, I guess I don't. I think the wasted stuff, Joey, might just be more when, you know, she's running a brothel in 15 minutes and it's like, well, why is there only one scene of this yeah. incredible character? Like that. That's completely wasted in that movie like that. Well, so. Gotcha. And, okay. and I will, okay. and I will, I'll tell you what, one of my, I think she is, and I will be at odds with you guys on this, but I think she is completely wasted in Prometheus. That should have been anybody else. It's a waste of her talent. It's a waste of her time. She's so much better than that. That that one hurts me. This doesn't hurt me. Like she's playing the role, like, you know, and it allows her to do a few other things. So, well, yeah, I mean, as we talked about Prometheus, and I know you guys mentioned on your episode of Real Bad, was it wasn't supposed to be her. She was supposed to be the the main role, the uh, yeah, and I no, so, no more I, pace role. I so wish that was the way it was. But damn, Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> well, George um, Miller yeah, calls um, you come. Yeah. You on the other hand, yeah, if it, if it gave us Mad Max, then I I forgive it everything, yeah. But didn't, like that that wasn't even the time that it gave us Mad Max. Like she was supposed to make it, and then it got delayed, so she was like, "I'm free again." So that's oh. what happened. Like it eventually <laughs> became see. Mad Max, but it was just like she was able to do it because it was supposed to be, and then got delayed. I so I see. Well, anyway, yeah. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that she deserves a, to be knocked at all for this movie. I don't. Oh boy, there's. I don't <laughs> know that there's any other awards to even yeah. nominate this for because like Mike just going through it like. Manic Pixie Dream Girl, no. Sexist film, no. Like, I think this this movie kind of treats all of its characters poorly, but I think, you know, women don't... Women aren't, like, terribly treated in this movie. I mean, they're, like, you know... I think it's actually pretty okay, maybe. They're the killers, you know? I mean... Yeah. It's 2018. Women can be killers, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not... I, I agree. Oh, yeah. But at least, especially, like, Christina Hendricks, you know, like, the single mother of, like, what, five? Like, trying to run the farm and, and all that. Like, I really... I wish we could nominate her performance, but I just feel like, A, it's she's not in it enough and B it's just yep. not her movie right and right. um but she's doing some great stuff in here no I mean it, it's weird because you know like a yeah like one of the girls does grow up to be a stripper and like the other one grows up to be insane and all this stuff but like within the context of the story I feel like the guys are portrayed way worse and that the women are only that way because of the men you know like they're just trying mm-hmm. to fight and get what's theirs and everything and it's like they have to be that harsh about it because they're met with the, that type of resistance you know right. in the first place so like they have to really just sort of like pony up to that level unfortunately but yeah the yeah. system does the system does not give them a lot of room to change their their lot here right i mean that's right yeah. best outfit wardrobe no most dressed oh, down wait, appearance. You don't, wait you don't love that hat that oh well <laughs> you're not gonna now, interestingly, <laughs> most dressed down appearance we could do that's right that we could do yeah Dark i'm places. trying to get that hat nominated for something 
So, so far we have five nominees for that one, including all three that Tobin picked. Dark Places in the Valley of Ella and North Country. So there we go. Best accent voice, no. Archetypal role, we'll figure it out at the end. Love story, no. There is none, which is, again, sort of strange. Best death, best non-Charlize death, best fight best line like the movie starts out with like piss and vinegar where she's like what's the Mm -hmm. actual line at the beginning of it she says she says i have a meanness inside me real as an organ and like before you know that there's gonna be too much bad voiceover that kind of comes across as cool and badass i'm like oh okay like this she's like she's mean and nasty and then it just sort of all goes from there so i don't really necessarily Mm want to nominate that yeah and it's also weird that with as much dead bodies in this movie none of them are like cool deaths like cool right. enough or interesting enough <laughs> to really warn it even chloe grace moretz like choking the one person to death i was like that doesn't even really sort of read well like, i'm yep. not yeah, even yeah. sure what's happening in this scene best freak out cinematography song score soundtrack dance scene oh the score best... is horrible the score is horrible <laughs> in this movie and the score is another thing it feels like a tv movie it's in a bad like a bad tv movie oof and then, you know, best or worst non-Charlie's performance. I just think, don't think there's enough, and, like, nobody's really exceptional one way or the other. Like, if people were... Like, if this movie were worse, yes. and people were worse, it might be more fun. Right. It's just boring. Yeah. Right. yeah. right. That's exactly right. It's That's the problem, is that it's boring. Yep. Yep. And that's all I got. Those are all the awards we have. I thought we were nominated for a bunch of, like, really, like, show this movie what it got, but just, you know, worst film, that's it. At the end of the day... There we go. Yeah, what, what was last week again? I mean... A Million Ways to Die in the West, which we nominated that, for 12... Which, like, a movie we did not have anything to say about, we nominated for 12 things. <laughs> a lot of them positive. I know, really. Like, that's, huh, that's huh. some perspective. Like, that's crazy. That's what's so crazy about doing yep. these these types of, like, doing the actor in a row like that with such a crazy, like, eclectic biography of work, like, body of work. Like, it's yep. just nuts. Very, very strange. Well, so before we say goodbye to Tobin, we sometimes do this when I remember to do it. We have a little thing at the end of the show. We do a podcast feature, another show on the network. You know, yesterday or last week, we talked about Foodie Films, which is now live. But now that Tobin is on the episode, why don't we talk about Tobin's podcast, The Contenders, which this movie comes, or this episode comes out next Friday as we're recording it. So, Tobin, what's the next episode? It's going to be Spy, right? Yeah, next next one we're doing is Spy on the, the 21st of August. Cool. Yeah, so that'll nice. be out in five, four days from now. So go yeah. check that out. Spy with Melissa McCarthy and Jason Statham. Jason Statham, a little bit of a Too Fast, Too Forever crossover. <laughs> yes, Doesn't yes. 50 Cent show up in that yes, movie? Yes, he does! I like, lost it in theaters when he showed up. <laughs> as 50 Cent. Like, he's play, playing himself. Yes, yes. Are you and Eisen going to cover... It's not a great movie, but it's fun, and uh, there's a lot to talk about, I think. Are you guys going to cover The Spy Who Dumped Me? We had plans to, and then the reviews have been so terrible, we we sort of backburnered it. Well, so a real quick two-cent synopsis of yeah. that is that yeah. the spy story is incredibly generic, unsatisfying, but Kate McKinnon in the lead role is just incredible. Like, or not, she's not even in the lead role, she's like the sidekick, because Mila Kunis in the lead role is just, like, kind of bland, but uh-huh. Kate McKinnon does her thing, so I'm sure if you get a better Kate McKinnon movie, Ghostbusters or whatever, you can do that, but here, I mean, it's almost worth seeing, maybe not paying for, but worth watching on HBO or watching on Netflix or whatever, the movie, yeah. just because Kate McKinnon is herself and she's just so good i even wanted like justin thoreau to be better in it and he's it's just because i love him in the leftovers and i like him yeah. in so, much, so many different things and he's just sort of not and he but, can be hilarious you know. too so yeah but yeah so i mean it's not terrible like i don't it's not like it's a terrible movie i just don't think it's great like i yeah. i loved 
I've only seen it once. I loved Spy. This I did not love because, from what I recall, and this is very again very bad movie amnesia. I remember Spy being like a satisfying spy movie as well. Yes, exactly. This is not mm-hmm. like this is not yeah. that kind of thing. So I think. In lieu of this, Spy is a better fit. I taught Spy in an intro to film class last year. We were doing um, the spy genre uh, movies, and we watched The Bourne Ultimatum and Spy as our sort of two spy movies. Ooh. And we had some really great discussions about what our expectations are of spy movies and, and how that this how Spy, the movie, both fulfills them and upends them at the same time. And as I saw the trailer, which I know you guys don't watch trailers, but as I saw the trailer for The Spy Who Dumped Me, it looked like it was going to do a lot of the same things and had me so, so excited. And then, as I say, my excitement has fizzled quickly as the reception of the movie has been so, so cold. Yeah, it's not great, but I had fun with it just because Kate McKinnon is Kate McKinnon. But Melissa McCarthy does her thing as well, if not better, in Spy, and that also has Jason Statham being an absolute lunatic from what I remember. So and Allison Janney and Jude Law, yeah, check out that movie and then on the twenty first, come listen to us talk about it. Wait, have we told you? But Joe Two's wife's cousin, I think, or aunt, is Allison Janney. No, oh, no way. way. That's a, like, that's I don't amazing. know that she's met her, but like, it's sort of familial. But like, there, she's friends with people. Like Rachel's friends with people on Facebook. The last name Janney, just because like it's, it's that family. So wow. yeah, it's like we're a couple degrees away. So we're right there. Yeah. That is so cool. Well, Tobin, thank you for being on this episode. I believe, unless I'm mistaken, this is a series wrap for you until, unless, you know, a new Charlie's movie comes out that you really want to do. But you'll be back on our next projects, which, as we teased last week, will be coming probably in February, question mark. Who knows? Cinemakers, whenever that comes back, we have Fincher coming up. And then we just sort of agreed to do another one before we start recording here. Down the road, <laughs> down the road, down the road. But I still really want to do that. So going to be good. It's all, good. all going to be good. But yes, thank you for joining us for two great Charlie's movies and then this. <laughs> yeah. As I say, sorry to have broken the streak, but it's, it's always okay. fun to talk. Well, for all things Watch the Throne, including Tobin's two other episodes that are longer than this episode, but also really good because the movies we're talking about are really good. You can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email the show, watch at cageclub.me. Let us email you, cageclub.me slash newsletter. We'll send out a newsletter the first of the month, every month, whatever the best of the best of what the show has, all the shows have to offer from the month before. Just go poke around cageclub.me, go check out the contenders, wait four days, check out Spy, Go back and listen to either Wonder Woman or Revenge or Winter's Bone or any other episode that Mike and I were not on because they're all wonderful. Also, go check out Too Fast, Too Forever, this month's episode yes. where Tobin and Island are on and kind of make <laughs> me and Joe cry a little bit with like their insightful yet also depressing points about why the first Fast and Furious movie is maybe not a five-star on Letterboxd movie, <laughs> yet I still gave it five stars, and will continue to give it five stars. I heard that. I shed a little tear myself. Oh, man. It was... Uh, it was. Uh, we, we poured one out. We poured a little sip of Corona out to the fallen memory of 2001. <laughs> I think and... Iceland scared Joe, too, a little bit. Oh, he, she definitely <laughs> did, but that's a whole other story. Uh, so go to cageclub.me, facebook.com, cageclub, and at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Mann. And that was Tobin Addington, and we'll see you next week for a a movie you might have heard of, Mad Max Fury Road, right here on Watch the Throne.